Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. What if you could not only stop using unhealthy, refined sugar in your kitchen, but replace it with a sweetener that's actually good for you? In today's episode, I am so excited to be talking with maple syrup queen, Michelle Visser, about all things maple syrup, its health benefits, and how you can start swapping it in to the recipes you're already using. Here's a little bit more about Michelle before we dive into this interview. Michelle is a homesteader in rural New England. In their 219-year-old farmhouse and in their 14 rocky tree-filled acres, her family makes an effort to live life a little more simply by growing some of their own food, raising a few farm animals, and making their own all-natural maple sugar. Michelle has been featured in Whole Foods Magazine, Capper's Farmer, and Mother Earth News. Her new book, Sweet Maple, is an instructional book on backyard sugar making that's also the story of the family's connection to the past on their small sugar farm and a cookbook, filled with more than 30 maple-infused recipes. I know you're going to enjoy this interview just as much as I did, so here we go. Hey, Michelle, I'm so excited to get to chat with you today. Thanks, Jill. I am totally excited that we could do this. Yes. So for those of you who don't know, Michelle and I go way back, which way back being what, a year and a half, two years almost, maybe a year and a half. Yeah. Can you, a year and a half. Yeah. feels like, it feels like longer. It feels like I've known you forever and that's a good, in a good way. (laughs) In a good way. I agree. (laughs) Um, But Michelle is actually part of the team my Prairie Homestead team, and she helps me with all sorts of things. Um, If you participated in the Heritage Cooking Crash Course over the spring, you probably saw her name pop up quite a bit. She was helping answer emails and do customer support. And if you're in our Homestead and Heritage cooking group on Facebook, she's very prevalent in there. You'll see her, her face in videos and in posts, and she's wonderful with engagement and answering questions. So she is my right-hand woman. Um, she keeps, and I would, I would throw in there if I would throw in there, Jill, if they are not in your heritage cooking group, why not? Because it is so fun. I love that group. It is a blast. We'll include a link to that group in the show notes. If you're on Facebook, you got to join us because it's where all the good stuff happens and you get to hang out with us, which is Pretty cool. Exactly. <laughs> Me and Michelle. So, um, but beyond being my amazing assistant, Michelle is also has her own homestead brand and she's also a published author. And so yeah. we kind of, yeah, we have a lot in common beyond just the Prairie Homestead. It's fun to talk shop with her when we're together. So today I'm having her on the old fashioned on purpose podcast because I am so excited to talk about one of her main focuses, which is maple syrup and not just cooking with it, but she is the real deal. She taps her own trees. Um, She's start to finish. So this is not something I know anything about, you know, making maple syrup. So I'm so excited to have you on Michelle and we can just dive in to all things maple. Thanks. Alrighty. So give us a little background of your homestead journey and kind of where you, how you got to where you are now? Uh, 
you know, it's so much different than you. I feel like you are such a person of vision, and I kind of wind up just being plopped in situations and look around and go, okay, what can I do with this? <laughs> um, so we moved from the Mid-Atlantic area to New England. It's been five years now. And when we purchased our home, we didn't purchase it looking for a homestead, which when I think back to that, it just blows my mind because – I can't imagine life any other way today, but back then I was moving from suburbia and I was just kind of tickled that we had a little bit of land. Um, I have to admit, I thought it was kind of romantic that we live in a 219 year old farmhouse. You know, that was kind of cool, <laughs> but I didn't even realize some of our outbuildings when we kind of cleared away the shrubs and actually found our way to the buildings that had been almost dilapidated and unused for, I don't know how long we realized, Oh my gosh, okay, this is a stable, and that, I think that's a chicken coop, you know, <laughs> and we just started realizing, let's use this land the way it's been used for a few hundred years. Let's take it back to like a kind of a homestead. So we've been having a ton of fun doing that as we go. I actually kind of love that you came into it with maybe more accidentally, because that's I know it's going to resonate with a lot of listeners because not everyone comes into it with this crazy laser vision. Um, some do kind of just ramble into it. So it's reassuring to, to know that you can start that way um, and get to such an amazing home and have turned your land into be something that's so productive. I agree. I would like to think that hopefully I am inspiring people, but I don't want to make it too romantic, especially here in New England. It is a rocky, hilly, hard land. <laughs> so I don't want to make it sound like it was a piece of cake, but it has been fantastic. And I'm so, so thankful to be doing what we're doing. I just have to say totally off topic, but if you go to Michelle's um, Instagram or Facebook pages, you have to check out her house. And I know for those of you maybe on the East Coast, I, I know you told me, Michelle, 219 years old is like, eh, just a house, right? It's cool, <laughs> but not like uh, crazy. In Wyoming, that's old. And so I see pictures of her house and the history and I just like drool all over myself. So <laughs> love cool old houses. Go check out uh, Michelle on Instagram. We'll drop some links uh, in the show notes. But anyway, we're here to talk about maple syrup yeah. and how you go from a tree and then magically you have syrup in your kitchen. So this is not something I am an expert on by any means. So can you just start off by giving us some insight into what it really means to tap a tree and then make the syrup? Absolutely. Um, we're talking about something I love. Just be careful and like, hold me back if I go on forever, you know, <laughs> but Do your uh, thing. during, okay. During the really, you know, the warm summer months when we're not even thinking about sugar making, that's when the trees really start getting busy. They are busy making natural sugar for themselves. I mean, they're not doing it for us, you know, they're doing it to supply the food for themselves. And, you know, we all learned about it back in like, what, fourth grade? I don't know. It's photosynthesis. And we learned how it works when we were kids. It's that simple. So then fall comes. And it, I think this is kind of cool. At the same time that we are starting to preserve the harvest and we're stocking the barn with hay for the animals to get us through the long winter. And I know your long winter is a little bit longer than mine even. So, you know, it's hard work. But the trees all around us, are kind of doing the same thing. They're busy storing away their sugar. And then all winter, that sweetness is just stored up in the inner bark. It's actually starch. And it's just waiting for the tree to be ready 
when it's going to need the food and when it's going to start, you know, the new growth for the spring. And um, so when the spring thaw comes along, it's, it's really miraculous. These enzymes in the tree start doing this magical thing and they start changing that starch that the tree stored away in the winter and um, they, they turn it back into sugar and it mixes with water so it can travel through the tree and the water, of course, is absorbed up through the roots come the early springtime. So the tree sends that wonderful sugar all the way through its bark and the sugar makers go, it's time and we get out our taps and we start getting really excited um, but all that a sugar maker has to, sugar maker, <laughs> all that a sugar maker has to do is literally just put a tap in a tree, and that sap that's flowing, it starts dripping out. You know, I mean, I think we've all seen that. It's it's literally drip by drip by drip that slowly. You know, and eventually it fills up a bucket, and you take it and you boil it down, and it does get a little complicated there, which is you know why there was a great need for this book because there are a lot of small details along the way, but basically, in a nutshell, you're boiling down the sap to the right temperature and the right sugar consistency, and you have syrup. You put it in a bottle, you put it in your pantry, and you have something delicious to use in all kinds of ways. It just is like enamoring to me. I just like the the thought of being able to do that is just... I'm jealous. Um, but I guess I, maybe I shouldn't be jealous because I know in your book, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but you mentioned this intrigued me that every state in the, in the U S I think you said, yes. we all yes. have a tree that can be tapped, maybe not maple, but we have exactly. some sort of tree. Yeah, we do. Exactly. Um, the, the book explains 30 different varieties of trees and I'm realizing I went up to an upstairs office because I knew I was going to be interrupted otherwise and I'm realizing oh I left all my books and everything downstairs so <laughs> but I can tell you that it itemizes 30 different varieties of trees that can be used to make syrup and at least one if not many of each of those varieties can be found in every single state of the United States even Hawaii because Hawaii has palm trees and palm trees are not going to be tapped in the typical way that I tap a maple here in my yard but you lance the flower it's like a four-week window that these guys climb these really tall palm trees and they lance the flower every day and they make delicious syrup from the palm trees. So even in Hawaii, I'm telling you, no matter what state you live in, there is at least one tree that you can tap. And I think that's so cool. It's very cool. And it really kind of zapped my excuse because I was like lamenting, oh, I can't do maple or I can't do syrup in my state. Oh, well. And you're like, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you said it was in Wyoming is the box elder tree, which I don't believe we have. And I actually Googled it and like, maybe I have one out in the backyard and I don't think I do, but we could maybe plant it and have it down the road in a while. So it's, it's probably true. And that is a good thing about some of these alternative trees. The, one of the good sides is they do become mature and they're ready for tapping a lot earlier than a maple. A maple is the best tree in the world you could ever tap, especially a sugar maple, because mainly the sugar content is the highest. It's going to make the sweetest syrup, and you're going to have to collect less sap to get that amount of syrup. But um, it takes 40 years. If you're going to plant a sugar oh, wow. maple, it's going to be 40 years till you can tap it. Yeah. I don't know how much, I don't know how long a box elder takes, but I'm pretty sure it's a shorter time period than that. 
yeah, that's a long, a long bit of delayed gratification for sure. It is. Although I have talked to so many people across the country. I mean, people, it's amazing the fortitude and the creativity they have if they want to make syrup. I've talked to people that traverse neighborhoods all around them. They put a big container on the back of their pickup truck and off they go and collect from all the different trees. And they have all different ways that they will go up to neighbors or maybe they live by parkland and they'll talk to their county extension or whatever and they'll get permission. All different things people will do to you know, find a tree that they can tap and make this syrup. I love that. It's the making do with what you have, which is really the homesteader spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of just like the, the specifics of tapping and the processes, you kind of mentioned it, it can be maybe not hard, but there is some nuances and a little bit of complexity there, which is why you created your book. It is called Sweet Maple, for those of you who don't already have it, Backyard Sugar Making from Tap to Table. It's beautiful, you guys. Like it's, it's a, a work of art. It's not just an instruction manual. And I know that some folks are calling it a cookbook, but it's actually a lot more than that, right? It's like kind of an instruction manual. Exactly. It's actually really hard to quantify what it is. I've actually talked to a few different reporters in the past week, and <laughs> they're like, well, can you define it? And it's actually a little hard. One person that I that, is, that wrote an article for a local magazine, I thought she did a good job because she said, you know what, Michelle just crosses all the genres and combines it into one. I thought, well, maybe that is kind of what I did. Yeah, but basically, really. it, it is definitely a cookbook. It is definitely an instructional how-to book. I've talked to a few people. You know, it's funny. I'm sure you went through the same process when your book came out, like no matter how hard you worked on it, no matter how much of yourself you literally just poured into it, there's this fear when it's out there in the real world. And the first few people that I started getting comments that they had purchased it, I was kind of afraid to like read their message they sent me. You know? <laughs> I was just yes. like, oh, I hope they like it. But I've been blown away by how sweet people are and how they've just gone on and on that this was exactly what they needed and there's nothing else out there like it. Um, but I itemized from beginning to end every question you could think of, every question that Bill, my husband and I had that we worked through. It's taken us five years to get to this point. Um, and, and I just itemized it all in a very down to earth instructional manual of how you can make syrup. But it's also kind of a memoir because the whole experience of moving from suburbia to this rural area and the whole process of realizing what homesteading is and how we could be a part of it, that's all in there too because that just, it just made sense to me. It was all just part of what I was writing, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's really a good fit. Like you said, it's a memoir with beautiful photos. So there's a lot of storytelling, but also, you know, if you don't have maple trees like me and you just like using syrup, the recipes are really helpful and unique. They're not just run of the mill. Oh, we add maple into this regular recipe and call it good. Like they're very, uh, they're very creative. And then it is that manual. So literally when I find my box elder tree, I will be using this book to figure out what to do with it. So it's, it's a really good job. Well, thank you. And I also, it was important to me, like, I wanted to help people understand this aha moment that I had, like this realization that once we moved out of that nonstop grind of suburbia, because in that life, the old me would have been like, there is no way it is worth that intense effort to own chicken 
and you and deal with the mess, you know, and, mm-hmm. and all that for what, for a dozen eggs a week? Are you kidding? <laughs> and, and like the old Michelle would have been like, um, I'll just go buy a dozen eggs for a few bucks. Like I had no idea. I just, my head couldn't get around the concept of why I would want to have chickens. <laughs> um, and I mean, I would have said, there's no way that I'm going to spend time collecting sap drop by drop. Are you kidding me? And it takes what, 40 gallons to make one gallon of syrup? Um, can I just like buy Aunt Jemima? You know, I mean, like the mm-hmm. old Michelle, I just, it, that was just the way I thought. But what was missing, I, I realized what I was missing out on, what I think a lot of folks today are really missing out on is the fact that we enjoy everything better even like the really small joys, like a few fresh eggs, if we had to work for it in some way. And together, like if we're doing it with the folks that we care about, you know, and I'm cleaning out the chicken coop with one of my teen daughters, I mean, that's actually, it doesn't sound very romantic and it kind of stinks literally, (laughs) but it just, it makes the eggs even that much better. It's just, it's a concept that I didn't understand before and I wanted I wanted to somehow help people see that a little bit in a way that I never saw until we started living this life. Yes. I can't you know, more. Yeah. And I think also it dawned on me after we got to this rural area that I, I never had the solitude that I needed. And I never really had that hard hands on work like I do today. <laughs> um, and I, I think our society needs it more than we ever did because we are so remote. We're, I, that's funny. I'm just twisting what I mean here because if somebody's in suburbia, they're not remote. But I think they're remote from this idea that without the solitude and without the hard work, we're missing out on something all the previous generations had. You know, they had so many things that required them really hard work. I mean, right now I'm looking at my grandmother's wooden um, butter mold on the desk and funny because it's holding my SD cards, you know, and like my reader for my computer. <laughs> but of course, you know, grandma would have had it filled with hand churned butter for her children to spread on their home, the homemade bread that she made. And she made bread, I'm pretty sure daily, you know, um, and then on the floor in this, in the office, I have Bill's grandmother's braided wool rug that like, it still is being used by our family 80 years after the sweet woman tore every strip of wool by hand and worked it together to make this rug. And here we are still reaping the joy. And I just think about the quiet and the reflective time that, that my grandmother spent churning the butter, you know, and Bill's grandmother spent braiding the rug. And we just don't have that today. You know, we're just too caught up in electronics and the busyness of our jobs. And we just don't have that reflective time And I think our fast-paced society, like, denies us these opportunities that we do need, that solitude and that hard work. But I'm sorry. I am totally on a soapbox, aren't I? (laughs) I get caught up in thinking about these things, and I kind of go nutty. No, I love talking about this. And I feel like this is the the aspect of homesteading that surprises people in a good way. Um, Because a lot of us come into it for food, or we want the chickens, or the animals, or the fun. And my favorite saying is hard but good right chickens are hard but good tapping maple trees is hard but good and we we are missing that absolutely and that piece of solitude when your brain has blank space that's when it creates and when it that's when it works through problems and processes and I think so many of us are missing that processing time because we're just go 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 um one activity to the next so it's super valuable 
Yeah. I agree. And, you know, it's the egg that I would have bought in the store in suburbia is so different than the egg on my counter today, not only for the nutritious value and all of that, but the joy of having to clean that coop actually makes that egg more valuable to me, which I guess sounds crazy, but it's true. It's so true. It's so true. So one of both of our favorite authors and speakers, Joel Salatin himself, actually wrote the foreword for your book, which was super yes. exciting. I remember when you called me, you're like, ah, you said yes. Um, and he yes. actually said a quote from his beautifully written foreword was that it, Sweet Maple is a compelling book for everyone's self-reliance bookshelf. So that is, that is so awesome. Yes, I was so excited. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm, I literally was, I embarrassed my daughters the way I was jumping up and down and dancing around when I heard from Joel. But then when I got his actual forward and I read it, I think I cried when I got to that. Oh my goodness. Joel Salatin thinks it's a good book for everybody's self-reliance bookshop. Oh my goodness. Maybe I've written a good book. you know. <laughs> so I was thrilled. Absolutely thrilled that he loved the book. Um, but I guess I really haven't like, oh, I haven't really um, broken down for you. Like, <laughs> I guess I've kind of told you how I covered these different genres, but I guess I could tell you a little bit more about like what's in the book. I don't know. Oops. Yeah, just give us the birds, the bird's eye view. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the let me see. Um, I started off with like why it's a logical thing to do this, you know, sustainable living. And the reason I was thinking I would tell you this is I, I thought it was fun. My editor made me decide, okay, what recipes, Michelle, you have to narrow this down. And then she made me decide, how are you going to decide where you're putting these recipes? Cause I want to spread these recipes out throughout the book. So I had a really fun, like, it was like a puzzle trying to, to fit where things should go. So in the first chapter, when I was talking about sustainable living, I thought, okay, that needs to be where we're sharing the bread recipes and the really basic getting back to homesteading feel with food. Um, so that made sense to me. And then in the next chapter, it was all about tapping trees. So you and I got to travel together a little bit this summer. We went to Ohio in July and had the privilege of visiting Layman's Hardware, which if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know about Layman's, you need to know about Layman's because they are the absolutely Disneyland. Like literally they are amazing, but we went out to their store and it's workshops and I got to sit in on your maple workshop. And I remember you talking a lot about the difference in maple and then refined sugars. And I was wondering if you could explain to the listeners a little bit how they can switch out refined sugars for more maple syrup in the kitchen. Absolutely. This is like something I am passionate about because it's really so simple and people don't realize, first of all, the huge difference between these type of sweeteners and then they don't realize how easy it is to switch it out. Um, but I mean, let's talk about refined sugar for a minute. It's processed in a factory, right? And it does start off as sugar cane or sugar beets, but then it goes through so much processing. And I had no idea until I started writing this book and I started reading about this that Okay, first of all, the cane or the beets, they're mixed with hot water. They're boiled and they're mashed a whole bunch to release all the juices. But this is the part that got me upset. Then they start adding chemicals because that's how they refine it. And I started looking up the chemicals. I couldn't pronounce them. And they really did not sound like something I wanted in my food. Um, but then the juices are whitened with carbon or bone char. Or sometimes they use an ion exchange system. 
But regardless of how they get it nice and pretty white, and it's just so silly because it's just to make it, you know, pretty white. I don't care if my sugar's white. Mm-hmm. In fact, I kind of like it when it's not white. I think it's prettier. I do too. <laughs> but in the end, yeah, in the end, if you're eating refined sugar, you literally have 99.96% sucrose. That's it. And the final product doesn't resemble the sweetener from its natural state at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have zero health benefits. You just have sucrose. But with maple, you literally, you know, like we were talking about, you're literally putting sap from a tree on your food or in your baking. It's just amazing. It's from nature, right from the plant. And, of course, because of that, the health benefits are just fantastic. Um, It has um, antioxidants, of course, that's going to support our body's immune system. It even has natural anti-carcinogenic. I always get tripped up on this word, Joe. Anti-carcinogens, right? Um, And has vitamins and minerals and polyphenols, which are those micronutrients that we get from plants. And, of course, syrup is literally right from the tree. So, of course, it has polyphenols. And um, all these health benefits that we can enjoy because of the ingredients in the syrup, it blows my mind. When I talk to different scientists and chemists, I I couldn't believe it, the more that they would itemize what they found when they analyzed syrup. And the things that science has decided it could possibly be beneficial for, like it it can improve digestive issues, some of the polyphenols that are in it. They actually think that it could help with weight management difficulties and even maybe with diabetes because some of these polyphenols that are in there are used to help diabetics. And that just absolutely, I can't even get my head around that. Wait, this is a sugar that has something in it that's actually somewhat good, like for diabetics? That doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) Um, And it's just, the list goes on and on. But so you asked me about putting it in recipes. Mm -hmm. So simple. If you just replace one cup of sugar with roughly two-thirds to three-quarters cups of maple syrup. I do play around sometimes with different recipes, but it's in that ballpark. Let's just say three-quarters cups. And you're going to have to remove about three tablespoons of liquid from the recipe because you're taking out a dry sugar and you're putting in a liquid, of course. Yes. And then you do want to reduce your oven temperature, usually like about 25 degrees. I'll turn it down. And that's just because maple syrup caramelizes at a lower temperature than refined sugar does. So I just want to avoid any burning or problems. So I'll just turn the oven down a little bit and then I'll increase the time it's baking for a few minutes. But, of course, in the book, all the recipes in there, I've done all the hard work. I figured out all those things I just said, and, you know, it's all done for you. But it's really not hard to take a recipe that you love and play around with it and come up with something that's even more delicious, in my opinion, because of that subtle maple flavor, and it's even better for your family. So it's like win, win, win. Absolutely. And I think it's just mind blowing. Like you said, that we go from sugar, which we all know is a bad food, especially refined white sugar. And it's actually detrimental to our health. And we're swapping it out for something, not just neutral to our health, but actually beneficial. Like, you know, mind blown. That's fantastic. 
Absolutely. And I should say, because I don't want anybody to be like, oh, come on, Michelle, you know, it is still sugar. Yes, it absolutely is. You absolutely still have to use it in moderation. Mm-hmm. And I have my best friend from childhood is a dental hygienist. So in honor of Gina, I always tell everybody, and you really should brush your teeth after having anything with maple syrup. <laughs> you know, yes. it's a fact. So, but yes. given that it's so delicious and it actually has something good for you in it, like you said, mind blown. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's my where's my my next question where my brain is going cuz I don't have trees yet and we don't have a a plethora of maple tappers locally. So, how do I find good maple syrup in like this maple desert? Do you have any suggestions? Uh, good question. Um, you know, if do you have do you ever go to like the big box stores and get I mean, because you actually can find in just a typical store that you can find across the country, you can find the big gallon jug sometimes of all natural maple syrup. So that's the most important thing to read it closely and make sure it actually is made strictly from maple sap, that it is all natural maple syrup. Unfortunately, people will often try and make something that's totally artificial sound like it's maple syrup, and they do a pretty good job sometimes. Um, so if you carefully look at the label, you know, you're, if, if you're getting all natural syrup, you're good. If you have choices though, and I realize in your maple desert, you kind of don't really, (laughs) but if you have choices, I always recommend going directly to a sugar maker. If you can find one, of course, in today's wonderful age of technology, we can find them online. And I have ones that I love that I recommend people to, but if you can go directly to the source, the benefit to that is it's all his trees or hers and all of their sap versus when you get it at the big box store your big gallon jug it's probably something like 385 different sourced saps coming from around the country and being combined which is okay because they know how to do that they know how to ship it well they know how to you know take care of it and keep it the right temperature it's just not as good of a taste and it's not as pure as if you're going directly to the one source, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. So I like to think of ingredients as kind of the good, better, best scale. So maybe we could say like good would be a hundred percent real maple syrup that we would find in a grocery store, right? If that's all we have, maybe that would be good level and maybe better would be um, getting maple syrup direct from the source whether that's online or local, and then best, of course, is doing it yourself if you have that capability. Does that sound fair? Yes. That sounds sounds very fair. And in fact, if you have that best option and you have a tree like that is right there outside of your door, I even recommend I do it almost every day during the four to six weeks of sugaring season. Take a glass outside and dip it in that bucket of the sap that you're collecting every day and enjoy a glass of cold sap. People look at me like I'm crazy, but it's really true. <laughs> it is amazing. It's it's very cold. It's very refreshing. It's naturally filtered right through that tray. And it has a very subtle maple taste that makes it delicious. That sounds good on like a, on a hot summer day when you need little electrolytes or something. That's what it reminds me of. Yes. It would be great if you could do that. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. It's usually, yeah, <laughs> yes. usually not in the hot hot period. <laughs> so right. <laughs> so okay. One other question, just about purchasing. Um, sometimes yeah. when I look at maple syrup in stores, it'll say I think it's like type A 
or no grade A or grade B. What does that mean? And does it matter for us consumers? Actually, not at all. And in fact, just recently in the past few years, the entire syrup industry changed the way they do things. So if you're seeing that label, it's it's probably maybe last year's syrup, which is okay. And syrup lasts, they tell you indefinitely. There's different great syrup um, resources that I've gone to, and they all agree that it's it, as long as it's been uh, bottled correctly, you can keep syrup indefinitely. Um, but... Currently, they call everything grade A, and it's simply labeled by its color. And the only difference, honestly, is if it's a dark syrup, it's going to be, as I think it's kind of obvious, a richer, deeper, more maple, almost more molasses flavor to it, versus your light syrup is going to be the sweeter, lighter taste. And that's the syrup that you get early season. Um, so if you're collecting it yourself, you're going to notice as you collect it throughout those six weeks how it gets darker in both color and flavor as you go. If you're using it for baking, I personally always go for the darker, and I recommend that because it's going to get more of the flavor into your baked goods. Um, one thing that people are kind of surprised about when they bake with maple, but I personally think it's a good thing. I like the fact that you don't always get this huge maple flavor which I kind of like because I like using it in place of sugar in almost everything that I do. So I don't always want the maple, you know, big burst of flavor. But if you do want that and you're not getting enough of it, one thing I say is to go try the darker syrup. And also, of course, you can use maple extract to bring out the flavor some. Mm. So not so it gives it a richer flavor, but not necessarily like more of the vitamins and minerals. Per se? Correct. Actually, the same trace minerals and elements are going to be in the sap throughout the season. Correct. Good to know. Because I, I remember reading some blog posts back in the day that were like, don't ever buy grade A because it has no nutrients. Um, so oh, really? That, yeah. Oh, wow. That myth is busted. So now we don't have to feel wow. bad about if that's what we have, which it sounds like if they've changed their standards, that maybe that is, it's kind of all the same labeling now. So. Yeah, yeah. they got to the point that it was just so confusing. People were kind of overwhelmed. The average person purchasing syrup didn't understand these things. And on top of that, Canada was labeling it all different than the U.S., so it was just totally confusing. And they said, you know what, let's just have one standard and I'll call it grade A. <laughs> so yeah, Makes sense. Okay, so we're, we're getting short on time. So just in wrapping up, what is your number one piece of advice that you would like to impart to hopeful sugar makers? Hmm. I would say don't get discouraged and don't give up if whatever, like it's our first season, every single mistake I think that we could make, I'm pretty sure we did. But the second year, was so much different. So hang in there if you are having difficulties, but also look out for resources. Reach out to people around you who are also tapping trees. Go to Facebook groups. I have a great group. It's called Maple Syrup Making. And the folks in there, it's the whole gamut of brand new first-time tappers to folks who are third-generation sugar makers. And they are all in there together. And we're there to offer advice. So if you have a problem or a situation that you're getting discouraged about find someone who can give you encouragement and help you and trust me it is so worth figuring it out and getting over that difficulty because the rewards are amazing the first time 
that we sat at our kitchen table and we poured our own maple syrup on our pancakes. I remember looking out the window at the gorgeous sugar maple in our backyard that the syrup came from and thinking, that's unbelievable. This on my pancake came from that tree and it's a feeling like none other. And believe me, it is worth working for. I love it. Sounds like a lot of life. Just keep on trucking and you'll get success eventually. If you just Absolutely. Don't yeah. Absolutely. Well, awesome. This has been so fun to get to talk shop with you on all things syrup making. So I appreciate it. Thanks for, for hanging well, out. Thanks. thanks a whole bunch for putting up with my nonstop going on and on about how much I love maple. <laughs> Perfect. So we love it. So. All right. Thanks, Jill. I don't know about you, but I am feeling more inspired than ever to add more maple into my kitchen. For a sneak peek into Michelle's new book, you can go to solelyrested.com forward slash order to check it out. We'll include that link in the show notes. And you can even download Michelle's conversion chart that will help you swap maple sugar into recipes that you're already using that call for other types of refined sugar. And you can grab that chart link also in the show notes. And that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you'd pop over to your favorite podcast player and leave a quick review so more people can bring homesteading into their lives. I'll catch up with you next time on the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. Take care. <laughs>